I've got a question for you this morning. I want your participation as I ask this question. How many of you ate collard greens and black-eyed peas to start your new year? Oh my goodness, look at the number. I expected that in the first crowd. I didn't know I'd get it in the second crowd. I've just got a question for you. Why? I, I I don't get it. I mean... You know, Lisa and I were at the grocery store, I think it was New Year's Eve, and, and I was in the car, dropped her off, she went inside to get a few things, and she came back out and said, you, you wouldn't believe the crowd in the produce section trying to get their collard greens. And collard greens and black-eyed peas, and then it got me thinking about, again, why do you do that? I did a little research, found out, and you could probably tell me this, you already know this, but the collard greens are green, which represent money, and it's supposed to bring you more money in the new year, and they say that the Black-eyed peas represent coins, which I don't get that at all, but they, they, they say it represents coins. Again, it's supposed to bring wealth and prosperity to you, and, and uh, you know, I'm just not going to go there. I'm not going to try that. Uh, but I did some research, and I found out if you're not into greens, collard greens and black-eyed peas, uh, there's some other things that you can do to help get your year started off in a good way if you want to eat certain things. In Spain, for example, they eat grapes. Now, I like grapes. I could do this one. Uh, the tradition in Spain says if you eat 12 grapes just before midnight, one for each chime of the clock, so when the clock starts going dong, dong, if you can eat 12 grapes before it, it hits the last, if you can cram 12 grapes in your mouth before the last one and not choke, you'll have a, you'll have a good new year. And then I found this one, some people eat pork to start the new year. Now you're getting in my area, I can handle this one. You know, pork, but it's fascinating why, why they eat pork. Why, why do you think pork would, would help you have a good New Year or be a good luck? Well, here's the reason. It's, be, it's because pigs root forward while they forage for food as opposed to cows who stand still or chickens who scratch backwards. <laughs> I'm not making it up. I'm just reading it to you. So, so if you want... If you've got adventures and challenges ahead and you need to move forward into a good year, then you need to eat pork. Uh, now, here's, a, here's one from Asia. Long noodles uh, in the Asian culture. Uh, if you eat at least one long noodle without chewing or breaking it, you'll enjoy long life and good luck. I don't get it. Here's one that you just file under Gross. In the Chinese culture, uh, serving a whole fish, both head and tail, symbolizes prosperity, abundance, and a good year to come from start to finish. Eat the fish from head to tail, then you'll have a good year from start to finish. I I, I just don't eat any of those things. Personally, I prefer peanut M&Ms and Pepsi to start the new year. You know, it, it's not good luck, and it and it you know it's not doesn't make me prosperous, but it does make me happy. So that's that's how I like to start the good year or the new year. It's interesting what people will eat trying to get off to a good start in the new year. And last week we started looking at how do you do that? How do you get started off to a good start in a new year? Well, the Bible thankfully gives us something that works better than collard greens and black-eyed peas. And it's, it's found in Philippians chapter 3, if you'll open God's Word to Philippians chapter 3. 
We started this last Sunday, and we looked at the first 11 verses. I'm not going to take the time to read all of that again, but in the first 11 verses, Paul explains uh, his personal testimony of finding and knowing Christ Jesus in a personal and a powerful way. And so the first 11 verses is just Paul's testimony of finding and knowing Jesus in that personal way and, in, and really in a powerful way. And then in verse 12 through 14, Paul explains the secret to his amazing life and ministry. And here's what he says in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all of this. Not that I, in other words, not that I already know Jesus all the way that I want to. Not that I've experienced all there is of Jesus. Uh, he said, not that I've already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So using that text last Sunday as our guide, we began talking about how to start a new year. And since some of you weren't here, let me review for you a little bit of what we talked about last Sunday. How do you start a new year? We said, first of all, evaluate where you are with God. Paul said, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Paul evaluated where he stood with God in his relationship and his walk with Christ. One of the things that made Paul such a great man is that he was more concerned about his relationship with Christ than he was his reputation as a Christian. Did you hear that one? More concerned about his relationship with Christ than he was his reputation as a Christian. So he was willing to be honest and transparent. Because he's more concerned about his relationship with Christ than he was his reputation as a Christian. So in great honesty and transparency, he says, Guys, I've evaluated myself, I've evaluated my life, uh, and I'm not where I want to be quite yet. Which are you more concerned about? Your reputation as a Christian or your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? And so I asked you last Sunday just to take some time to honestly evaluate where you are with God. I asked you last Sunday to sit down in a private place with an open Bible and an open heart and ask the Lord, how am I doing spiritually? That was the first thing we said last week. Then we said, secondly, if you want to get off to a good start in 2014, don't be manipulated by your memories. In verse 13, Paul said, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Paul says if he's going to be all that God wants him to be, he's not going to waste any more time on yesterday. Because it's gone. It's in the past. It's over. You see, if Satan can keep you looking back, then he can keep you from moving forward. And so he wants to make sure, Paul's saying, I want to make sure that I'm not focused on the past, forgetting what is behind. And I told you last year, there's three things that all of us need to forget as we start a new year. All of us need to forget some of these things. All of us need to forget these three things. Number one, I said we need to forget our failures. Nobody batted a thousand in 2013. Nobody had a perfect record. Nobody did everything you should have done. And some of us did things we shouldn't have done. And so we need to forget our failures. Putting it under the blood of Jesus, claiming 1 John 1.9, we can be forgiven of anything... And once we've been forgiven of it and we've dealt with it, we need to put it in the past because that's where it is. It's in the past. We not only need to forget our failures, we also need to forget our grudges, we said. 
Don't be dragging your grudges into 2014. Don't hold on to a grudge. Don't hug a grudge and walk with it into 2014. And then we said also, you need to forget your failures, forget your grudges. But we said thirdly, you need, you need to forget your successes. Forget your successes. So many people are looking at the memories of what they used to be that they're no longer anything for God right now. They're, they're resting on what they used to do rather than what they're they can do for God right now. So you need to forget your successes. Paul puts it this way, forgetting what is behind, and listen to this, and straining toward what is ahead. If you want a good 2014, you need to strain toward what is ahead. Forgetting what is behind. Now that was last week. That's what we talked about. That if you want a good start in 2014, evaluate where you are with God, and don't be manipulated by your memories. Now here's the third thing. Number three, picking up where we left off last week. Number three is this. Keep striving for what God wants in your life. Keep striving for what God wants in your life. Two times Paul uses a phrase that you might want to mark in your Bible. It's found in verse 12 and it's found in verse 14. And it's the phrase, I press on. Look at it in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but... I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. Here's the second time he uses the phrase, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. When Paul uses the phrase, I press on, you need to understand that he is not discouraged, he's encouraged. There's an important distinction there. He's encouraged. He's still going for it. He still has a positive outlook. And he's saying, I'm going for it with all that I've got, and I'm not going to give up. It's the word picture of a hunter pursuing his prey. And he continues to pursue his prey. He keeps looking for his prey. He keeps tracking his prey. He keeps hunting his prey. He's pressing on. That's the word picture here. I go for it with all that I've got. It can be translated, I follow after. I follow after. That's another way to translate that phrase. You see, if you're going to be all that God wants you to be in 2014, listen to this. It's going to take more than inspiration. It's going to take more than aspiration. It's going to take more than even perspiration. You know what it's going to take? It's going to take determination on your part to press on. Determination that you're not going to stop. Determination that you're not going to quit. Determination that you're not going to give up. Press on. I keep striving for what God wants in your life. Now here's the reason we've got to press on. Somebody might want to put an amen in here in just a second. Here's the reason we need to keep pressing on. Because sometimes the progress is slow and we'll feel like giving up, won't we? We're not there yet, are we? And, and it's sometimes we, we have good intentions and we've got good goals and we, we keep working towards something. But the progress is slow and we wonder if we're ever even going to make it. We wonder, what's the use? I'll, I'll, never, I'll never be what God wants me to be. That's why you need to press on. I learned a lesson in pressing on, oh, it's probably been a little over a year ago now. There was a group of us, I, I don't know exactly, 30, 40, 50 of us, uh, decided to train to run a 5K uh, through a program that we had here at church called Run for God. Now, it was a 12-week training plan aimed at preparing you to complete a 5K race in 12 weeks. Not that it takes you 12 weeks to run it. 
but you take <laughs> but it takes 12 weeks to get you ready to run the 5k Rodney Bridges uh, and, and Ron Taffer were leading that and uh, I remember very well starting out the first night now I may not have the, the times exactly right because I'm going on memory but but I'm pretty close to to the right times seems like on the very first night when we started running out or started out in the parking lot running we were running he said all right we're going to run for one minute one minute then we'll stop and we'll walk a little bit and then we'll run for one minute and and I'm thinking come on man one minute I could, I could do one minute come on give me something hard at the end of one minute I'm at well, probably about 45 seconds I'm thinking when's the one minute <laughs> it's got to be a minute by now and so at the end of one minute, you know, eventually we worked up, I think, the next week to two minutes. And at the end, as we approached that one-minute mark, I'm thinking, I can't do this for two minutes. But I kept pressing on. Kept pushing it. Kept going for it. I kept pressing on. And then, not long after that, a week or two after that, he said, all right, now we're moving up to the stage where we're going to be running for five minutes without stopping. And I'm thinking to myself, two minutes nearly killed me. Five minutes is an impossibility. There's no way I can run five. I mean, it doesn't sound like much until you get out there and try to do it. Five minutes is just five minutes. But you're running consecutively for five minutes. And I'm telling you, it was hard. It was difficult. I didn't like anything about it. But I pressed on. I kept doing it. And then, I got the bright idea of asking Rodney... How long does it take to run a 5K? I should never have asked that question. He said, well, basically what we're trying to do is we're trying to train you to run for 30 consecutive minutes so you can complete a 5K. People run at different times, but we're trying to, our target is get you to run 30 minutes without stopping so you can run a 5K. To which I said something like this, you've got to be kidding. And, and, and I'm thinking... There is no way possible. That is an impossible. There is absolutely, it ain't going to happen. I cannot run 30 minutes without stopping. But you know what? I kept pressing on. Now, there were days I didn't want to press on. There were days when Lisa and I would train together, and she would say, I hate this. I hate everything about this. And I said, preach it, sister. Amen. I agree with you. I hate this, too. I don't like anything about it. But we pressed on. There, and then there were times when, when I'd get up to 10, 15, 16, 17 minutes, my lungs felt like they were just going to explode. My heart felt like it was going to stop. My knees were hurting. My feet were hurting. But I pressed on. And on November the 3rd, 2012, I ran a 5K, 3.1 miles, without stopping, in a blistering 27 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I was right behind this man because I was running with him, trying to stay with him. And he told me later, he said, he said, Keith, you really pushed me because I decided Keith Shorter is not going to beat me. <laughs> and I laughed because, because when I was running behind him, I thought, Ron Taffer is not going to leave me. I'm going to stay after it. <laughs> but, but I pressed on. I kept going. What if? What if you and I use that same kind of determination in our relationship with God? I wonder what it would be like if we used that same determination in our relationship with God.
What if on those days when we want to quit, we pressed on? What if we decided to keep going even when we messed up big time last year? I mean, we blew it last year. But what if we decided to press on? We decided just to keep trying. What if we refuse to quit when life gets painful and life hurts and it feels like we don't have the strength to go on? What if we just had the determination we're going to press on? What if we decided to give it all we've got and do something we've never been able to do before? Paul says, verse 12, you can sit in your Bible. I press on. But then he said something else in the rest of that verse that was very, very important. Look what he said. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul is saying in this verse, I'm not just pressing on trying to make it through my circumstances. I'm not just pressing on trying to make it through another day. There's a bigger goal than that. There's a far more important goal than that. There's a spiritual reason to press on. Paul says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He was saying, I'm not just trying to move forward, I'm moving forward with a purpose. Paul's mind, I'm sure, went back to his conversion experience on the road to Damascus. In Acts chapter 9, it's the story of of, of that conversion experience. Paul was a hater of Christians on his way to Damascus to arrest and persecute Christians. But you know what he hated more than Christians? He hated Christ more than Christians. He hated Christ Jesus. And on the road to Damascus, he met Christ Jesus. And that was where he was saved. That was where his life was changed. That was his conversion experience. But his conversion experience also became a commissioning experience. Because on that Damascus road, Paul understood something. Listen to what he understood. Paul realized that when Jesus stopped him on the Damascus road, it was for a greater purpose than to just keep him out of hell. And when Jesus stopped him on the road to Damascus, it was a greater purpose than just to take him to heaven. Paul understood that Jesus had a vision and a purpose for his life while he was here on earth. And it talks about that in Acts chapter 9. Go over there to to Acts chapter 9. Let me give you the context of this. In Acts chapter 9, we're going to pick up in verse 10, I believe it is. Yeah, in verse 10. And uh, Paul has already been saved now. That happened in verses 1 through 9. And in verse 10, Paul's already been saved and... And God wants to send somebody to help Paul. And it says in verse 10, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision he seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, verse 13, Ananias said, I have heard many reports about, now listen to this, I have heard many reports about this man. Don't miss that phrase. I've heard many reports about this man. And all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But, now here's our text I want you to focus on, verse 15 and 16. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. And here's that phrase again. This man, this man, not another one, not somebody else going down the street, not somebody else nearby, 
this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And you know what? That's what Paul was striving for for the rest of his life. To take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of him. For the rest of his life, that was his aim. For the rest of his life, that was his ambition. Paul always wanted to press on, lest he fail Jesus and frustrate his dream. Here's what I want you to understand. When you become a Christian, you weren't just saved, you were saved for a purpose. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Why? Because you're saved for a purpose. Should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. You've got a purpose now. It's to live for Him who died for you. You've got a purpose now. You were saved for a purpose. You remember Jeremiah 29.11? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. God has a plan for you. And His plan was not just to save you to keep you out of hell. His plan was not just to save you, to take you to heaven. That's part of His plan. But all of that's in the future. God's got a plan for you now. He's got a plan for you today. He's got a purpose for you now, in this life. He has a purpose for you. You see, if you want a really good goal for 2014, can I give you one? Here's a great goal for 2014. Make God's goal for your life your goal for your life. That's the best goal you can have for 2014. I press on, he said in verse 12, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul's goal was Christ's goal for him. Paul was in essence saying, I want to live the life God's planned for me. That's the life I want to live. I want to live the life God's planned for me. I want to live the life only God can imagine. And throughout his life, he kept straining toward that goal. He kept striving towards that goal. You see, there is something better than your dreams coming true. You know what it is? Living in the middle of God's dream for your life. That's far better than your dreams coming true. Beth Moore put it this way. She said, God is sovereign. When it's all said and done, He knows what will thrill us the most. He knows what will thrill us the most. He's got a dream for you. He's got a plan for you. Run toward God's dreams for your life, not away from them. Do you want to live a life that God has planned for you? Or do you want to live for your plans? I mean, let's just weigh it out for a moment. Let's just use some common sense for a moment. Live according to your dreams or live according to God's dreams? Live according to your purposes or live according to God's purposes? Which one is going to give you a better 2014? Which one is going to give you a better life? Paul said, I press on. Hard times, good times, bad times. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. When Dave grabs this microphone, it's always with a purpose. Purpose is for him to speak through the microphone or to sing through the microphone. He doesn't grab the microphone randomly. He grabs the microphone for a purpose. 
And the day that the Lord Jesus Christ took hold of your life, He took hold of it for a purpose. And He's got something He wants to say through your life. He's got something He wants to do through your life. He did not take hold of you just to take you to heaven. He took hold of you for a purpose. If He took hold of you just to take you to heaven, He would have done it that moment. But He left you here, didn't He? He took hold of you for a purpose. Paul says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. You know, it's easy to recognize those, who, those people who have lost their passion. You know how you recognize Christians who have lost their passion? They're the ones who spend the rest of their lives trying to stay as comfortable as possible. It's all about their dreams and their goals and trying to stay as comfortable as possible. Their house, their cars, their dreams, their goals. It's all about just trying to stay as comfortable as possible. Paul said, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I don't want to just live for my own little dreams. I don't want to live for just my own little goals. I don't want to just try to accomplish what I can accomplish. I don't want to see what I can make out of my life. I want to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Rusty Rustenbach said, You and I live in an age when only a rare minority of individuals desire to spend their lives in pursuit of objectives which are bigger than they are. And listen to what he said. He said, In our age, for most people, when they die, it will be as though they never lived. Don't get at the end of your life and ask yourself, What if I hadn't settled for going through the motions? What if I hadn't settled for just going to church on Sundays? What if I had decided to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me? What kind of life would that have been? The Living Bible says it this way. I keep working toward that day when I will finally be all that Christ saved me for and wants me to be. Not there yet, but I keep working towards that day. I keep pressing on. I keep going forward so that I'll finally be all that Christ saved me to be. Now, my question for you as we close is this. Are you pressing on? Or are you giving up? Are you working for your little dreams? Or are you striving to accomplish His dream for your life? In 2014, could we make this our desire, our goal? That His goal for us is our goal for us. That we will press on when it's hard. We will press on when it's not easy. We will press on when it's frustrating. And strive to be all that He wants us to be. Press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of us. Let's pray about that. Next Sunday, would you come back and we'll finish this message. Because there's a second time when Paul says, I will press on. In verse 14 he says, I'm going to press on for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We'll talk about that next week.
But right now today, I just want to remind you what I said last Sunday. That we would love for this altar in 2014 to be a place where you meet with God. We want you to have the freedom to respond in the service to this altar and to the calling of God on your life. And so if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you don't know what it is to have that personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we're here to counsel you and to help you. Or you can just come on your own to this altar and pray. If you've got a, a burden, a, a grief that you're carrying right now, you're trying to deal with, you come to this altar and pray. Or if you have quit pressing on, you've given up, or if you've been living for your own little dreams instead of God's dream for you, come to this altar and say, Lord, I surrender. Lord, I give up my dream. And I want to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I'm going to stop living for myself, and I'm going to live for the one who died for me. If you'll do that, it'll be the best year of your life. might be the hardest year of your life, but it'll be the best year of your life too. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank You that You're working in us and through us And there's so much more you want to do. Help us to press on towards that goal. Press on towards grabbing hold of that for which you grabbed hold of us. What a privilege it is to know, Lord, there was a day when you welcomed us into your family. There was a day when you stopped us. There was a day when we encountered you. Now may we make the most of that day. May we work out our salvation to get the most out of it until the day you call us home. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.